0: You guys can be seated. Good morning. I I don't want to move on from that moment, from our hearts meditating on how God has been good to us and demonstrated his goodness to us. So let's just pause before we open up God's word. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians in just a moment. But I want us to pause and just meditate on this reality that God has been far better than we deserve, that he has been good to us in every single season. So just give him praise in your heart right now before we open God's word. goodness this morning, that none of us in this room has ever um, pursued you like you've pursued us. None of us has set out in our minds, our hearts, to make you king. You came and rescued us from ourselves, from every other kingship, and you declared yourself Lord. And so today we do the same. We, we say yes and amen to all that you've said about yourself, and today as we come to your word. We pray that you'd reveal yourself to us because we believe that's the only way that we'll be transformed. Lord, without a vision, a new vision of who you are revealed through your word, we'd be left to ourselves. And so today we just invite you to speak to us, God. Speak to us again. Help our hearts to hear. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. really uh, great to be reminded of God's goodness this morning. Um, before we get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be in just a moment, you can go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word to chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 5 in just a moment. Um, if you're new here, I especially want to welcome you. There's a card in the seat back in front of you or behind you that you can fill out and drop in the boxes that say give on your way out and we'd love to contact you in a respectful way. Also, if you're new here and people around you aren't greeting you and friendly, just assume that they're new as well and you can greet them and tell them that you're glad they came um, because our people are friendly people. That's, that's who we are, Bellwether. Um, so I want to encourage you to own the space around you. If there's somebody you don't recognize, uh, put a close to not recognizing them in the future, okay? We're glad that you guys are here. Um, we just started this. This is week three in First Thessalonians. Um, and, and we started a few weeks ago by looking at how this church was planted. How God brought the gospel to this town and it radically transformed a group of people's lives and they immediately were born again into the midst of suffering and affliction. And, and today, Paul continues to tell the story of God's grace towards them, specifically um, talking about how the gospel had transformed their lives. We believe at Bellwether that the gospel changes everything, that it's not just an introduction to to who God is and how he's worked. It transforms the future. It transforms our past. It transforms the present moment. And this message that Paul brought to them had absolutely done that. It changed their past, their future, and their present. And so um, I want to ask you a question before we look at this scripture, and it's this, who are you becoming? Because throughout this scripture, he's going to outline how their lives were transformed by the gospel. And so if you would, ask God to speak to us through his word. We still believe that his word is authoritative. It is without error. It is him talking to us through these written words of men. And so we want to invite him to speak to us again about how he might transform us today um, in this moment by looking at how he transformed them. So if you would, read along with me starting in the second part of verse 5. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I ask that once again, you'd speak to us through it, that our hearts would yield to it. And I pray this for your namesake, Jesus. Amen. Now, I already asked you this question, but before I get into this text, I want to ask us once again, who are you becoming? Who am I becoming? If you can imagine yourself five years from now, will you be the same person that you are today? Now, some of you probably can imagine very specific ways that your life is going to change. Maybe some of you will start a family in the next five years. Maybe some of you will add to your family in the next five years. Maybe some of you will lose people within your family in the next five years. There's changes that are constantly happening around us. Maybe some of you are are closing out your time in school and starting somewhere else in the next five years. Maybe it's difficult to imagine, but more important than all of those places where we might be financially or in our career or within our family is what kind of person will we be five years from now or 10 years from now? What kind of person is God inviting us to be a week from now? Who is he transforming us to be? Because God is about the work of transformation. The gospel didn't just come so that we could hear it and respond to it, it he, he brought this message of truth and hope so that we could be radically transformed by it. And in this passage he's going to I'm going to go through three ways that this group of people was changed. First they became imitators of Paul and of God. They became examples to all the saints and then they became servants of the living God. And so in all three of those, I'm asking God to speak to us not only about how their lives were transformed, but how our lives might be transformed through the power of the gospel because we believe the gospel transforms every person who's actually received it. So if you've actually received this good word from God, it changes everything. It changes the order of your affections. It changes what you value. It changes how you love other people. It changes how you look at other people. It changes absolutely everything. And so the first change that you see in this passage is that these people became imitators. That means they weren't before and now they are. The gospel and their reception of it changed who they were becoming by who they were following first. They became imitators first of these leaders, Paul. And what we see about this church in their imitation of them, the leaders in verse 5, we have to see evidence that number one uh, in verse 5 that it implies that they were known and that their lives proved what they declared, okay? So, the knowledge of these leaders and their imitation of them means that they were in proximity to them. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about how they, they talked about the relationship as nursing mothers, as fathers who would exhort them. And they didn't just share the message, but they shared their very lives with them. In other words, these people were imitators of Paul and these church planners and missionaries because they were in close enough proximity to see what their lives looked like. They had to see what, how they behaved. And their behavior lined up with what they were declaring. So not only did they have knowledge of them, their, their knowledge of them provided proof that the message of the gospel transformed them. And so in a world where everyone is trying to be influential and trying to influence you, I don't know if you know that, but that's, that's what sells things, is influencers these days how many followers you have or how many people you're following. And the fastest, um, one of the fastest growing marketing strategies is being an influencer on social media. Many brands are moving towards buying people's influence so they can sell you things. And whoever you follow, here's what I want you to know, you will become like what you behold, okay? So you've got to curate whatever it is you're beholding become imitators first of Paul and then the example they set. And now I want you to imagine what kind of example that they set. Immediately, this group of people was going to be born again into an atmosphere where they would suffer for the sake of the gospel. They had to be imitators of people who were prone to suffering. So I don't know if you know how they arrived into this town, but they had just gotten fresh out of prison and uh, the group of people that heard the message and began to follow them began to be imitators of somebody who was right out of prison. Okay. That, that's the story of them coming to this town. They'd been kicked out of a town and they said, we're going to imitate these people. So you have to know that there was something powerful about this message. Paul and his companions set an example for them, not only with the message in their lives, but in affliction and joy, because that's how they were going to have to receive the word. Now they, I don't know if they would have told stories about this, but the previous town they'd been in, they end up in jail. And if you can imagine them singing hymns in the midst of this affliction and telling stories when they got to the next town, listen, we were in the middle of this dark place. We were locked up. God delivered us miraculously. But before he did, let me tell you what we were singing. We're singing this really song. This song that I love, Okay. Can you imagine them bringing that message and the stories of their affliction and the stories of their deliverance? We all need these kind of people in our lives that will not just show us how to behave, but they'll show us how to suffer so that we can endure it with joy. Because wherever you're going, I can promise you this, suffering's coming. So uh, maybe some of you are thinking, who are the people right now that I could possibly imitate? Because as soon as you get close enough to people, I can guarantee you this, you're going to be disappointed with them, okay? You get close enough to me, you're going to realize that I'm just like you, a mess. But here's, here's what I want you to know. Every person in God's people needs people. They need people they can imitate their lives after. They need people that are peers with them, that are walking with them, and people that are following them behind them. So why should we have a mentor? Look, you guys were not intended to walk this road alone. Now, you may think that you're the one and only person who will ever survive the Christian life by yourself. You're not, okay? It is not a solo sport. It is not something where God is inviting you to follow him in your own way. He's inviting you to be part of a people who are after him and pursuing him and looking to model their lives after him. So they first imitate this group of people. And and I want you to know that every person not only needs a mentor, it will be a significant source of grace and strength to you. If you do not have somebody in your life that you can call in a moment of trial, who's walked the path before you, who you could call up and say, okay, look, I need space with you for two reasons, okay? First, for confession, because one of the ways that you're going to proceed in this Christian life is the same way you started so that you could confess your sins on a regular basis and have someone declare the gospel over you once again, saying, look, I know you're in need, I'm in need too. <laughs> space for confession, space for confrontation, where there's someone in your life who's saying, let me, let me investigate some things, let me ask you about this. Do you mind if I follow up with you about that for probing, for correction, for regular space so that you can see your need for grace and so that somebody can speak God's grace and mercy and gospel over your life, over and over and over because progress in the Christian life looks like regular space for confession, repentance and the ministry of the gospel once again to be declared over you. That's what it looks like. It's not it's not somehow special to super Christians, it's just for people that are trudging along doing it together. Now If you're like me, there have been several seasons of my life where I was looking for somebody to invest in me. I was looking for a mentor. And one of the things that I pray daily over my kids and over the people I care about is that God would provide for them mentors people that are further ahead of them, spiritual mothers and fathers and older siblings in the faith. So if you're looking for a spiritual mentor, here's just a few tips for how to look, okay? Number one, look for somebody who's faithful, not perfect, because people who are willing to share their lives with you, warts and all, you're gonna see that they're not perfect. There's no such thing. So look for someone who's faithfully walking with Jesus a little bit ahead of you, observing how they deal with their struggles and their failures so that you can learn from them and model this pursuit of God and the gospel by their lives. Second thing, look for somebody who's available, not necessarily influential. Now, the most visible people that you might see, um, they, they may not have time, okay? But there's a lot of people who are walking with Jesus on a regular basis, Lots of people doing lots of different, not, not just the professional Christians, okay? The people who do Christianity for a living, ministry people. Look for people who are faithful. They're doing their jobs well. They're loving their family well. And they're available. Look for courage, not necessarily comfort. Here's what I mean by that. Look for somebody who knows, gonna, you know they're going to get in your grill if you start drifting off. You know they're going to say, listen, I don't like that. <laughs> what you're doing, you know it's not faithful. You know it. You need people with that kind of courage and you need to be that kind of person who can open up your life close enough to others to see the warts and say, okay, I'm being courageous in confession to you and I'm asking you to be courageous in confrontation with me. Don't look for someone who makes you feel comfortable all the time, okay? Don't do that. You can guarantee that it will not be a place where they they don't need to declare the gospel because all they're doing is saying, you're okay, I'm okay, I'm glad we're okay. You don't look for that person, okay? Look for someone who knows that you're not okay, that you need Jesus, and that they both need Jesus. Last thing, look for somebody who's, who's ahead of you, not necessarily in all areas. Look, if, if you're looking for someone who's ahead of you in every space, every aspect of their life, good luck, and uh, you're not gonna find them. Look for someone who's ahead of you. They might be younger than you, and there might be some area of their life that you're like, you know, I probably wouldn't model my life after them in this way, but in every other way, I can see how God's working and they're faithful. Look for someone ahead of you. Um, they don't have to be in the same family circumstance or financial status or cultural background. All those things don't matter whenever you come to God's kingdom. Now, I'm going to keep moving on. And ultimately, what you want is this. You want to look for somebody who not, not who you can depend on, but will push you to depend on God. Yeah. We don't need like... Uh, uh, Codependence within God's body, okay? We need people that will push you towards the most reliable source, God Himself. You need to look for someone who's going to push you to pray and spend time with God so that ultimately you're not imitating them, you're imitating the person that they're imitating, which is the second part of this verse. It says that they not only imitated us, but they became imitators of God Himself, of the Lord. The only people who are worthy of following aren't looking to get you to be their followers, okay? They're looking to get you to be followers of Christ himself. So ultimately, they became imitators not only of Paul and his, his missionaries, but of God himself. Now, what does that mean to be imitators of God? There's several places in God's Word where it describes it, where it basically says this is is what we do. We become imitators of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is what it means to be in God's image, the imago Dei. I don't know, how many of you guys watch this old house? Sometimes, maybe? There's a, there's a little section of this old house sometimes where they bring out some random tool and they're like, everybody has to guess what this tool is for. Okay, you don't have to guess what you were made for. You were made to be an image bearer of God. And so in every way that God has designed you to reflect his purposes and his glory, we get to step into that and say, this is what I was made for, to be a fragrant demonstration of God's grace in the world. And every way that we receive his gospel, we get to live out his gospel with the people around us. He gave himself for us and we get to reflect that with how we love other people. We're imitators of God Himself. And as imitators, we're like dearly loved children, representatives, expressions of God's creativity, power, and might. When He dreamed you up before the foundation of the earth, do you know that He dreamed you up with great purpose? That He designed you in your mother's womb so that He might demonstrate what He's like in a particular, specific way in the world. And this time, He declared, This is when you're going to be born. And who's going to be living around you and with you in this generation so that he might demonstrate his purpose and power specifically in you. Just imagine that for a moment. And he's inviting us to step into the purpose that you were made with by becoming imitators of what he's like. Now, how do you become imitators of God? I already said this before. You only become what you behold. So you regularly have to spend time with God and his word. Look, the Christian life is as simple as this, okay? When you're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, spend time with God through his word and prayer. I mean, you can boil it all down to that. Spend time with God through his word and prayer. And in that, with unveiled face, you'll see what he's like. And somehow it it transforms you. Somehow it transforms you. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So here's the good news, Okay. You just got to get in proximity with God and ask him to change you, ask him to reveal what he's like and who he is and how he works. And then suddenly being in his image, you'll become uh, uh, demonstrators, imitators of the thing that you were created to imitate. You will never reflect someone that you don't follow and you'll never become someone that you don't behold. And he's inviting you to imitate him. That's what he's saying. That's the, that's the evidence of God's grace in this group of people, not because they became imitators of Paul and their suffering, but ultimately because they became imitators of God himself. So before I move on to the next way that they were becoming and changing, I want to ask you, who are you imitating? What are the inputs in your life? Are you curating what you're beholding and not just consuming it? Because listen, it is so easy to consume. It is so easy just to turn on that phone, the endless scroll, the perpetual scroll of ideas and information and people. And God's inviting us to behold him and to become like him. So who are you imitating? Who are you beholding? And then the second question is this, who's imitating you? In verse 7, First Thessalonians chapter 1, it says this, so that you became an example. So they didn't just become an imitator of what they had seen. They became imitated. They became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That means that the entire region that they were in, the, the entire region, that'd be like everybody in Mississippi knows about y'all's faith, Bellwether. Everybody in the Southeast has heard about how you guys are receiving God's word and living it out. Can you imagine that? That's what he was saying about them. Throughout the entire region, their reputation went before them, not only because they had received the word, but they received it in a particular way. Why were they worthy of imitation? Well, the same reason that Paul and his his uh, partners were worthy, because they received it in affliction, and with joy. Now, the the evidence that you are sincerely a believer in Jesus Christ is not only that he's changing you, but particularly in suffering. Do you guys know that everybody uh, wins the same? Here's what I mean. If you win and you succeed, everybody does it the same. They're all happy. And it is very natural for us to cheer for one another when we're succeeding. But what's particular about Christians is how they suffer. That's what makes us different from the world. When you don't get what you want, when it causes you to suffer to follow Jesus, when it causes you to suffer to be faithful, that's what makes us distinct. The way that the evidence of God's work in their life was that they received the Word, but they received it in affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Both of those things, the modeling of the hymns in the pit led them to a place where they could run from the angry mob and say, none but Jesus. We're following Him. We're following him in the midst of affliction and with great joy. And, and I love that it's the joy of the Holy Spirit. And over and over, God is described as this joyous God. And if you know him, he doesn't just transform your circumstances. He transforms you in the middle of your circumstance so that you can become a, an example to everyone in the future who might believe. So they could look at you and say, you know what, it wasn't easy for them. It wasn't, it wasn't hard. One of, one of the greatest gifts to me in my Christian life is to watch other people walk through great suffering and endure it with great hope. It has been one of the greatest uh, gifts to me to walk with dear friends through the most unimaginable pain and to see them suffer it well because of the hope they have in Jesus. And these people became examples We need people in our lives that will take up that role. Now, not everybody's looking for a mentor, you know what I'm saying? Some people just need you to step in and say, I'm gonna take a role in your life. They need people to have an imagination for who you're becoming five years from now because some of you can't even imagine two weeks from now. And you need people to step in and play that role. Now, if you're looking for someone to invest in spiritually, there are plenty of opportunities here, okay? Right here among us. And I want to give you some some, uh, just practical ways that you can do it. First of all, invest in someone who's teachable. There are people who are more impressed with what they do not know yet than what they already know. I know you may not have met them, but there are some people out there like that, that are more interested in what they have not yet learned. Get around those people and their hunger for truth and for the knowledge of the Holy One, of God Himself, will drive you to continue in hunger. A hunger for righteousness and holiness and the things of God. Get around people that are teachable and invest your time with them. You probably will get more out of it than you intend to give. Invest with somebody who's available. Look, if people don't have time for you, find someone who does. There are plenty opportunities for people to just take a, a initiation and say, I want to spend time with you. Invest with people in prayer. The most significant thing that you can do for someone else is to pray for them. I'm going to say that again because it is the most neglected. The most significant investment that you can make in someone else spiritually is to pray for them. To not just imagine what their future might hold if they walk with God, but to see what God is inviting you to pray over their lives. Oh, that God would redeem our imaginations for one another so that we could pray good things that people can't even imagine for themselves. Invest through your local church. Look, the mission of God, I just, this, might be, this might be new news for us, okay? The mission of God starts right here. It is not on a special trip. It is not across town. It starts in the people right here. This is mission central God's work in the world. His plan A for accomplishing what he wants to accomplish is the local church. It is not people necessarily being sent to the other side of the globe. It starts within your home and within this local church. There are significant roles that he's asking and inviting every person to play right here, right now, for us to step in and say, what role do I play in this person's life? And then answer with, yes, I will play that role. And then lastly, invest by connecting people to Jesus. Look, you don't need people to be connected to you. You need people to be connected to Jesus. The ultimate goal of you investing time with anyone is to connect them to the source of any power and redemption and worth in the world, Jesus himself. And all these ways that you can make a spiritual investment, they're not just ways to serve one another. This is not just how we serve one another. Ultimately, we serve the living God. And that's the final point of who these believers were becoming. They were becoming servants of the living God. And the idea of this service, this means that they were worshiping Him, they were seeing Him as ultimate. In all the ways that they could serve every other idol in this town, I went through all the idols in this town in the first week. This was a crazy place. People were legitimately bowing down to idols, sexual idols, idols of alcohol and wine. In all of these ways, they were saying, these things are important, and these things transform us, and we will serve these things. The gospel changes the order of what you value in life. It changes everything. It mixes it all up. It changes your past and your present and your future. In the past, look at what they turned from. They turned from idols. They turned to God from idols. So in the past, everyone who truly receives the word of the gospel, you did not come upon it because you were interested in God. It wasn't because your parents were Christians. It was because God rescued you from yourself and everything else that you would serve. So if you're thinking, maybe I don't really have any idols. There's no pagan things. (laughs) This is not like, I don't have any little wooden idols on the way into my house. There's nothing like that. Here's what I want you to know. All of us have ways that we would serve ourselves and everything less than God. And God has to rescue us from those things. Tim Keller in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, he says it like this. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value and then I'll feel significant and secure. He goes on to say, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there's nothing else demanding your attention. So, real quick, anybody have any idols? (laughs) It's not like we all of a sudden leave them all behind us. Ultimately, we do. We say, God, you're the only true and living God, and you're the only one worthy of serving. But there's a lot of things you've left behind you, and here's what I want to encourage you to imagine. There's still some things that he's inviting you to leave behind you in your past. There's still some things that maybe your mind goes to. Your default mode is to say, you know what? I can find my worth and my value and my comfort and my security through this relationship, through this career, through whatever it is. I don't know what it is for you. But I know this, that God saves people who are worshiping other things. There was never a moment in your life when you weren't worshiping. All of your life is saying, something is valuable to me. Every ounce of your time, every ounce of your attention, you're saying, this thing is valuable to me. And God is inviting you to see Him as the only one who's worthy of all that attention, all that value that you're ascribing to things. And maybe some of you had some dramatic way of realizing this isn't going to work for me. Maybe some of you are coming to that point today. You're like, hey, my life's not working. This idol that I've invested in, this relationship that I've invested in, it's not gonna give me what I want. And maybe you've come to the conclusion that you just need to hit it harder or try harder or get up earlier or become more committed to it. And here's what I want you to know. I can't declare over this idol of yours that it's worthless and you leave it behind you. I can't convince you that it's not worthy of all the attention that you would give to it. Something else has to happen. There's this really cunning trick that I've learned since I had kids. Okay? When a kid doesn't want to leave something alone, you've got to introduce something more valuable to them. Now, I don't advise this as an, I mean, you could call it bribing. I don't know. It's not a great parenting tool, but it's just a true reality that if you want a kid to let go of something you don't want them to have, you've got to introduce something that's better than them. Now, there's a, an old Puritan that described it in his book, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. This is true. The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. How, did, how, how can we get rid of it then? It may not be uh, supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. Look, the only way for you to leave behind the idols that you so treasure and adore and have run to is for you to see that something's much more valuable. And the only thing that will convince you of that is if God reveals himself as the most valuable treasure there is. Now, this is, this is a question. This, this question rocked me years ago, and I want to present it to you in the hopes not to convict you, but for you to see that Christ is the ultimate value. John Piper asked this question in his book, God is the Gospel. The critical question for our generation, for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven, okay? With no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, with all the food you ever liked, with all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict. That'll be awesome. And no natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Could you be satisfied with heaven if all those good things that will be true were true and Christ were not there? It's a really important question because it gets to the heart of what we're actually after. What are you after in this life? Ultimately God is inviting us to see him as the true and living God. In Matthew 13:44, my favorite parable it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. These people had a new treasure. They had a new thing they were serving, not because they recognized the futility of the old things, but because they recognized the value of what they were presented in the gospel. And the treasure of the gospel isn't just that we're delivered from God's wrath, which we are. It isn't just that your sins have been forgiven, which is good news. It's that you get God, you get Him. You get right standing before Him and not not in some transactional way. He invites you to come and be at His table and to be around Him so that you can be cold. Behold what you were intended to become. That's the true invitation of the Gospel. Come and behold the greatest treasure that has ever been given. And you will become what you behold. And so I want to close with this question. Who are you becoming? As we look at their example, I want to ask you, who are you most attentive to? Who are you influenced by? Who are you watching so that you know how to design your home? Who is it that's influencing you? Who is it? Who are you becoming? Because you will become whatever it is that you behold. Who gets to define your imagination for the person that you're going to be in five years, in ten years, and between this day and glory? Who defines that? Who defines who you're becoming? So do, do you have an imagination for who you might be if God continues His work in your life? Do you have an imagination for who you're becoming in the next five years, ten years, in the next three months? And is the imagination for who you're becoming, is it defined by who God has declared you to be? Or is it defined by what you're grasping after on this earth? It's a really important question. Who defines that? They followed an example. They became imitators of God. Ultimately, they became an example in the way that they left the things behind them, how God defined their future. And ultimately, they're looking ahead saying, you are our hope. It defined what they looked at in the future and said, that's what we're longing for. What we just sang about, what we just sang about, one day shall come with trumpet sound and in him may I be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's what we're looking forward to. That one day in the twinkling of an eye, when we stand before the throne of God, we'll be ultimately transformed. No longer will it be one degree of glory to another of beholding and becoming and beholding and becoming. One day we're going to stand there and we will be dressed in his righteousness because it will be a recreation of what he intended you to be in the first place. And it's going to be glorious. It is going to be profound. And here's what I want you to know. If you're stalling out, if you guys are stalling out and you're thinking, gosh, I really, I really want to be becoming something else. But it's been a while since anything has changed in my life. In fact, I actually feel like I'm going the opposite direction. Anybody feel that way? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody ever feel that way? You're like, whoever I'm becoming, it stalled out. It stopped for a while. Here's what I want to give you today the hope of you becoming anyone other than just yourself is in His hands. He will surely do it. That's the promise of the end of this passage. In chapter 5, In the benediction, he declares this over this group of people. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. In other words, may he transform every aspect, every minute, every moment, every desire, every bit of you. That's what sanctification is. It means that you're being transformed. May he do it completely. Can you imagine the day when it's completely finished? I mean, all of the ways that you failed Jesus are in your past forever. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read this. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. (laughs) He will surely do it. He will accomplish the work that He intended when He called you by name and said that you're mine. He will accomplish that. And do not fret between this day and that day. <laughs> Put yourself in proximity to Him and He'll continue that work. And it may never be complete until the day you see Him face to face. But from one degree of glory to another, you're being transformed. You're becoming someone different. And it's not just what He originally designed. He's going he's to knock the walls down and make a completely new thing. He he has a tendency of finishing the work that he started, okay? Look, we're in the middle of renovating a home, and so I know a lot about unfinished works right now, okay? (laughs) I know a lot about it. It feels like everything you get done, you cross this threshold, and you're like, oh, and there's all these other things to do. And it's never over, am I right? There's a great hope and promise in this that wherever you're at and whatever thresholds have lied, lied behind you, and that lay up before you. He has promised that he will accomplish this work for his glory and for your good. So let's just pray that we would do that. There's, there's ways that we can come and partner with his work by being in proximity to other people that we can imitate, by imitating him through his word. But ultimately, he's responsible, and he'll get all the glory one day when we stand before him in perfection. He'll say, I did that. And we'll say, thank you. Let's pray to that end, would you? Father, thank you for this, your word. Lord, I pray that we would become like you. That we would see you as you are. And that you would do a work that we could not accomplish on our own. Pray that those in this room that may need someone to step in, to, to imitate. Pray that you'd put them in proximity with one another. That you'd give them relationships that leave them transformed. And that ultimately the relationships that happen in this church and through this group of people would connect us to you. That you would be our aim and our goal. Lord, I pray that this would be so in us. In Jesus' name.